0: from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sophia Besh, I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform and today I'm joined by Ian Bond, the CER's Foreign Policy Director, to talk about North Korea. Welcome Ian.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So President Donald Trump gave an interview last weekend to Fox TV in which he said that Washington was so prepared like you wouldn't believe for any contingency with Pyongyang. This crisis is far from over. In fact, the rhetoric seems to get harsher and harsher. And so what I would like for us to do, what I would like for Ian to do is give us a bit of a briefing in North Korea in the first part of this podcast, where I want to ask you, Ian, about North Korea's strategic nuclear capability, sanctions, and how serious we should be taking the situation. And Then in the second part of the podcast, I want to talk about Trump's upcoming trip to Asia, where he will be going to Beijing, Seoul and Tokyo, and what the current situation means for the relationship between the US and these countries. So first question then, how likely is it that North Korea can be prevented from getting a strategic nuclear capability, Ian?
1: It's very hard at this stage to stop North Korea getting a strategic nuclear capability. They have been trying to develop a nuclear capability since the early 1990s, I guess, or maybe even a little earlier than that. And various attempts have been made both by trying to buy them off, in effect, by offering them a civil nuclear power program in return for giving up their nuclear weapons ambitions through sanctions and threats and so on. And all the way through, they have continued... Continue to try to develop this capability. And with recent launches of missiles and with the latest nuclear test, they seem to be getting very close to having a deliverable nuclear weapon.
0: So, what you're saying then is that the world will have to live with a nuclear North Korea, which incidentally is the title of one of your recent pieces for the CR.
1: Well, it's a pretty unpalatable prospect, but I think the reality is, yes, the, the world is going to have to live with that, as it's had to get used to a number of other countries over the years becoming undeclared or declared nuclear weapons states. And everybody hates it. Of course, it would be much better if we could stick to the Non-Proliferation Treaty and just have the five declared nuclear states, the five permanent members of the UN Security Council. But that hasn't been the reality for a long time.
0: Right. So you've mentioned sanctions earlier. Could we just go back a little bit? Why have sanctions not work on North Korea the same way that they have worked on, for example, Iran?
1: There are two reasons. One is that North Korea is quite isolated from the world economic system. It's not a big trading country. And unlike Iran, it doesn't have huge natural resources that it needs to export and to receive earnings from. Uh, And the second reason is that China, which is the biggest trading partner for North Korea, has been very reluctant to enforce sanctions. Now, there are some signs that the second problem, the attitude of China, has shifted and that China is actually cracking down on oil deliveries to North Korea and reducing the purchases that it makes of North Korean coal and textiles and so on. But the first problem doesn't go away. North Korea is not very integrated with the world economy and therefore it's much harder to harm it through international economic sanctions.
0: So does this keep you up at night? How dangerous is the situation now? There has been sort of a sense of continued alarmism over this. How close is Donald Trump to starting a war with North Korea?
1: The things that Donald Trump has been saying in recent weeks are really starting to keep me awake at night. It's not so much because I think that America is going to launch a preemptive strike on North Korea. American military commanders know very well that South Korea's capital is within easy artillery range of a lot of North Korean guns and missiles north of the demilitarized zone. So that's not the problem. The problem is I don't know whether the North Korean leadership under understands what Donald Trump's tweets and public statements mean? Do they understand that these are probably not the prelude to preemptive strikes? Uh, And that, for me, is the dangerous thing. Deterrence work if both sides have a similar appreciation about what particular actions mean. If one side has a very different interpretation of the actions of the other side, that's a problem. And even in the Cold War, where the US and Russia from the 1960s onwards had mechanisms for trying to avoid accidental war, the fact was that sometimes the Soviet Union or the United States misinterpreted actions that they saw on the other side. And those are very dangerous moments. In the case of the US and North Korea, though they have diplomatic channels for talking to each other through New York in particular, it's not ideal for Real time crisis management.
0: So, can we expect that kind of deterrent signalling from Trump's forthcoming trip to South Korea, Japan, or China? What should we expect?
1: Well this will be a very good question. You have a newly elected Japanese government and one of the main aims of that new government of Prime Minister Abe will be to change Japan's pacifist constitution. I don't know how that signal will be read in North Korea. It will probably not be received well in Beijing either. What will Trump say to the South Koreans? Obviously, they are the people literally closest to the firing line. And there's no sign that President Moon is volunteering for Seoul to become a target for retaliation in the event of a US strike. So I think there are some very, very difficult conversations that Trump will have to have there. But the centerpiece for this visit is probably going to be the contacts that he has with Chinese leaders, both bilaterally when he visits China and also at the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. So it's the Chinese who are crucial to this and what messages Trump sends to them and what messages he asks them to pass to the North Koreans.
0: Yes, because China obviously has stakes in the stability of Kim Jong-un's regimes. They are afraid of refugee streams uh, should that regime break. But they have, as you've mentioned earlier, been a bit more forthcoming with the international community and sanctions in the past. We have also just seen the 19th Party Congress in China, where North Korea really hasn't been that much of an issue. So what do you expect the Chinese position will be when President Donald Trump comes to visit them?
1: The Chinese will be trying to persuade Trump not to escalate. For the Chinese, it's not simply that having the US launching a preemptive strike on North Korea would potentially end up with fallout literally drifting over the Chinese border, but it is also the risks from flows of refugees and from the chaotic collapse of the North Korean government. And we have seen in other parts of the world that the chaotic collapse of a regime doesn't automatically result in something better afterwards. So the Chinese will be trying to persuade Trump, as indeed Xi Jinping seems to have persuaded Trump when he visited him at Mar-a-Lago earlier in the year, that the North Korean dossier is very complicated and that it needs to be taken very slowly and carefully and without undue escalation or too much excitement.
0: Is there a role for the EU here in this conflict?
1: At the moment, it's rather hard to see that. If things calm down, then potentially there is. In the past, the EU has been involved in some very low-key initiatives to expose North Koreans to more of how things work in the West, particularly economically. There are six EU countries that have embassies in Pyongyang. So they can be at least marginally useful for passing information and for giving the Americans an appreciation of what the situation is like on the ground. The Swedes represent the Americans because the Americans have no diplomatic relations with North Korea. But other embassies also have the opportunity to try to tell the Americans how they see the situation, what their businessmen see when they go out into the countryside, or what they hear from travellers, or what they themselves see on visits to parts of North Korea. So there are some opportunities there, but I don't think one should overstate it. And I think the other area where the EU can be helpful is in underlining to China that this is a matter of concern to the whole of the international community. The EU may not express itself in quite the same way as the United States, but it doesn't mean we're not worried. Also, in talking to the South Koreans and the Japanese, who are very important partners for the EU, both economically and in security terms.
0: Ian Bond from the CL. If you enjoy listening to the CER podcast, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find us. And you can also let us know what you think on Twitter at CER underscore EU.